in your Bible this morning, please, the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus, and Wednesday nights I'm going through the Bible, preaching through the Bible, one message per book of the Bible this year on Wednesday nights. Boy, we have had tremendous crowds. I mean, it's grown, uh, obviously. And uh, this past week was Leviticus. It was a different passage. It was chapter 16. This morning, I'd like for you to go to chapter 27. Now, as soon as you get there, if you're one of these quick-draw artists, then go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in the New Testament. So Leviticus chapter 27 in the Old Testament, and then 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in the New Testament. And sounds like you're about there, Leviticus 27, 1 Corinthians 16. And so stand with me, if you will, please, as we read God's Word together. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. The tithe is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. It is holy unto the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do you. Upon the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, wouldn't it? Let every one of you lay by him in store, a reference to the Old Testament storehouse. Put it into the Lord's house in the place where it can be distributed as needed. Do it as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings or no additional offerings when I come. Now, you're in the, at the end of 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he that soweth bountifully, plentifully, generously, shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, meaning duress or under pressure, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you being always or always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Thank you, and you may be seated. Our theme this month has been stewardship according to God and Grandma. And this morning in Sunday school, you got a lot of grandmas thinking about stewardship. It was an excellent lesson that uh, Ryan produced for us. And you, you know some of Grandma's wisdom that was contained in your Sunday school lesson today. Now this morning, we have the chest out up here. It's the chest of Joash Day. We've done this for about probably 20 years. And the chest of Joash Day is an annual day that we have in our church 
When we ask members to make a commitment to the Lord to give their tithes and offerings through their church, this is how we finance the church here, the Lord's work here. And we've done this over and over through the years. In fact, I always worry, are we in, are we in danger of burning you out on it, that you don't get very excited about Chester Joash Day. But it, you know, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it, huh? And so it's worked. Not it has worked, but you people have responded to the teaching of God's Word and in doing it this way. You have that stewardship card there in your hand. What makes this unique is we don't do pledges in this church. We honestly don't believe in a pledge system. I believe that God wants us to give to Him and not make some pledge to a church or to a preacher or to a ministry. So there is no pledge here. Nobody will ever call you and try to collect the tithe, and all that. We simply teach what God's Word says about money. I challenge you unapologetically, biblically, joyfully even, and then we pass the plate. And what you do is between you and the Lord. So because of that, we don't even have a place you can sign your name on the card here because that would be a commitment that we could know about and, you know, we could work those cards during the year. We don't have that. There's no place for a commitment, just a place for you to put down what you intend to give, Lord willing, unless you're providentially hindered, you're going to give that much to the Lord Jesus Christ each week or month as you're paid, and you drop that in the chest. You make your commitment to the Lord, and then we find out what that is, we add those up, and we hope that it's going to make or come close to our budget, and we operate the church off of that for the remainder of the year. It keeps us from having repeated little business meetings about, you know, we're going to paint a wall somewhere or something. We've already covered that in the planning and in the budget, and this is the way that we finance the Lord's work here at the Florence Baptist Temple. And then each month I give you an accounting on a Wednesday night, a finance report in detail of where every penny came in and where every penny was spent. And then at the end of the year, we have two accountants now who audit our books and look at where the money came and how it was dispersed. And that's how this church is uh, financed. We don't have bake sales and rummage sales, and we don't have stuff like that. We don't raise money outside of what we're doing right now. We appeal to the people because if we do it God's way, he blesses us. And wow, have you responded. I thank the Lord that last year, and I give him all the glory for this, a little over $4 million was placed in our offering plates. And so God has blessed us, haven't we? Hasn't he? And we give him the glory for that. <clears throat> I believe that's worth an applause. I certainly do. Now, God, you know as a Christian, is the original giver. It is the nature of God to give. Men may be takers, but God is a giver. John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he what? He gave. God is a giver. He not only is a giver, he gave his very best. He gave his only begotten son, in 
incomprehensible to us how he could love us and care that much for us. But he did. God is a giver. So he didn't ration the air. He didn't charge us for the light of the sun. He didn't put up a no trespassing sign on the beach over there so that we can't go on the ocean to travel or to fish. God gave us bounty. He gave and gave and gave because it is his nature to give. And he built this idea of giving and this idea of generosity into the, it's a very integral part of nature itself. In fact, the only thing that doesn't give in almost every case is humankind because everything else gives. For example, the sun gives its light. It gives its heat to warm the earth. The moon gives its light at nighttime to illuminate our path. The earth, we're all dependent upon the earth. Whether it be the cow grazing in the meadow or whether it be you and me, all of us are dependent upon the earth, the soil that produces the crops, the water that we are enjoying today, the air that we breathe. We are totally dependent upon earth. We're dependent upon the rain that falls, the water from the heavens that gives life to everything in the universe. We're dependent upon the other living creatures that uh, are, are upon the earth, the animals, the birds, the fish. They give us their meat, their flesh for our diet. They give us their skins to clothe ourselves in and a thousand other uses that we get from the other creatures here. We look at the trees out here. Think about it for a moment. Those trees, every one of them are givers. They give us the shade that we enjoy in the heat. They give us wood from which we build our houses. They give us leaves from which we make our medications. I was reading the other day that the common aspirin tablet, I never think about it. It comes from the bark of the aspen tree. It were not for a tree, you couldn't have an aspirin. Nature produces them itself. It gives us its fruit. The tree gives us nuts. It gives us roots. It gives us the bark that we mulch our yards with even. Everywhere you look, the trees are giving to us. The vegetables and the fruit help us with our diets. They give nourishment to all of mankind. And so I come to the matter of stewardship. We preachers ought never to be apologetic about it. We ought never to back up for a moment because everything in nature gives. God built giving and generosity into the very woof and wharf of life itself. He saves us at salvation. He wants us to take on his character. And when you and I begin to take on the character of Almighty God, we find that like God, we are givers and we are forgivers, both of those. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I must be a giver, and I must be a forgiver to have his, to be conformed to his character. Number one with me this morning, I want you to note that God commands us to give. He commands us to give. Given it shall be given unto you, the scripture says. 
We read the passage that says, as we sow, we reap. And all, all the way through the Bible, we find this command to give. The modern, contemporary, evangelical thinks is totally up to us. Do you want to give or do you not want to give? And yet, as I go through the Bible, giving is imperative. It is commanded. It's obligatory, however you wish to say it. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Always God's command is there for us to give. Now, we know that as Christians, we are stewards of what God gives to us. Steward means that we manage God's property. Pro, or the book of Psalms, number 24 and verse 1, says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, everything in it, the fullness of it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and all they that be therein. God owns everything. He owns it because he made it. If you make something, obviously you are the owner of that which you made. God owns it all. And as a Christian, you know that we are stewards today. And I don't really give God anything when you boil it down in the final analysis. My giving is only returning to him a portion of what he already has given to me. Everything I have was given to me. Everything I have came from the hand of God. All I'm doing is returning a percentage, a portion of that to the Almighty. And I give to him because he first gave to me. You know, it's not hard to give if you get hold of that principle that God is the owner of everything that you have. God owns my house. God owns my clothing. God owns my car. God owns my wife. God owns my kids. God owns every, every nickel that I've ever had. God is the owner of it all. It's not hard to give if you get hold of that. Because you know what I found out? It's not hard to give what doesn't belong to you. You know, as a pastor, I found out it's easy for me to give the church's money away. It's easy for somebody to come and make an appeal and say, yeah, okay, okay, we'll give you some. And I'm giving away the money that is not really mine. I'm a steward of that money. But now when you come to me and say, I don't want anything from the church. I want to know, Brother Bill, will you give me? Uh-oh, I'll say I have to pray about that. See, it's easy to give away what belongs to somebody else, isn't it? And if you and I ever get it deeply ingrained in our heart that I don't really have anything at all, the air in my lungs is a gift of Almighty God, and it all belongs to Him, then it's not hard for me to give Him back a small percentage of what He asked me or what He has blessed me with. It's not hard to give when it's someone else's money. I read a story about our tendency to not give. And there's an African tribe that they eat monkeys, or they used to at least. And the way they would catch the little monkey is they would take a gourd and they would put a small hole in the gourd. They knew just the right size because they knew that the little monkey could slide his hand down in it when his hand was empty. And so they would put a little hole in the gourd put some corn in the bottom of the gourd, tie the gourd to a tree or some stake nearby, and the monkey would come down out of the tree, and he would stick his little empty hand down there, and he would grab a big handful of corn, and guess what? He couldn't pull his hand back through the hole. And you know what the monkey would do? He would 
hold on so long in his greed that it'd be too late. They would have surrounded him. They catch him. Isn't that an interesting story? You don't look interested enough. That's how they caught the monkey. What comes to your mind? Now, I'm not asking, are you a monkey? No, what comes to our mind is, is that when we're greedy, you know, we can get into trouble. And the little monkey was so concerned about hanging on to that corn, he was willing to even get caught himself. Somebody told me recently, and I heard it, even a dog knows what an open hand represents. Even a dog can understand an open hand. You don't say, come here, Fido. You say, come here. And even a dog can respond to that. He understands the principle of the open hand. And the principle of the open hand is that we don't have a clenched fist when we come to the Lord. That's a sign of rebellion. The clenched fist is a sign of anger. It's a sign of holding on to what is mine. But we come to the Lord and we have an open hand. Lord, everything I have comes from you and it belongs to you. And now I'm going to return to you as an act of worship, my tithe and my offering. You know what I've found out through the years? Giving changes me. Every time you give, it'll change you. It'll make you a little bit less selfish. I tend to be tight. Monroe is a Scottish name, and they say that runs in the genes, huh? I tend to be a little bit tight. And I tend to, for example, when I'm eating for years, I said, well, you know, that waitress, she didn't come back and pour my tea she wasn't very attentive. She didn't smile. I don't know. I'm a, and I give them the minimum tip. And then I read in Dave Ramsey's book, by the way, who offers our financial peace program here. Dave is big on giving tips. And he said, one reason is because that waitress that waits on you on Christmas Eve isn't there because she wants to be there. She's probably a single mother. She probably has to work. Why don't you be generous with her? Why don't you walk out the door feeling good about yourself that you really actually helped somebody? Forget about how many times she filled your tea glass. You're doing this in the name of Christ. Bless her. And then I got around Mark, and my goodness, Mark Cahill. He's the most giving. I mean, that guy's a giving machine. And he sends us a thing the other day. He says, you know what, I'm having these heart issues, and I know that Mark is out on his own. He's an evangelist, and, and uh, I knew what his hospital bill was. I knew when, what it was when he was here in Florence, and I know that now he's been going to Emory University over there and so on. So we said we support Mark as a missionary. Everybody here loves him. Send him some money, and I think we sent him $1,000. Do you know what he did? He turns right around three days later. He said, I know this evangelist, and he's having a hard time, and he needed $1,000. And so thank you all for blessing me so I could bless him. I tell you what, you can't give Mark Cahill anything. He'll turn around and give it away in a heartbeat. But, he's learned, but you know what? He's doing okay. He has learned the spirit of the open hand. 
not the monkey's closed fist in his life. You know, it really is hard to say that you and I are serious followers of Jesus Christ if we're not givers. The unsaved person is the taker, but the Christian must be the giver. God commands us to give. Number two, I want you to notice that God's commands to give, now listen carefully to me, are accompanied by promises to receive. God's commandments to give are always accompanied by a promise from him to receive. And it's based on this principle. God is not going to be any man's debtor. God is not going to allow you to ever stand in front of him and say, I gave more than you did. He is always going to, he is always going to uh, challenge us to give to him. But you know what? He's not going to let us give more than he gives back. He is never going to be our debtor. He's not going to be indebted to us. Now, every now and then I meet this very super spiritual person who says to me something like this, well, don't you think it's wrong to give and expect a return, Pastor? I mean, aren't you just trading with the Lord? Aren't you just bartering with God? Don't you think, Pastor, that we reach a point in our spiritual life where we just want to give just because we love the Lord and we shouldn't expect anything in return? I think that sounds very, very spiritual. (laughs) I don't think it's true. I don't think there's a word of truth in it. And when I look at my Bible, here's why I think it's okay. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9. Honor the Lord with thy substance. That's the teaching. The promise is your barns will be filled with plenty. God says, you give and I'll bless you. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 17, he says, he that, ha- he that lends to the poor, uh, lend- uh, he that has pity on the poor lendeth to the Lord. And then it has a promise, and they will be paid again. Malachi chapter 3, verse 9 through 11, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Prove me now herewith, and see if I will not open the windows of heaven, the promise, and I will pour out on you a blessing. God's commands to give are accompanied by a promise to receive. Mark chapter 10, 28 and 30, no man hath left houses and lands and father and mother and family and so on, but promise he shall receive a hundredfold both now and in the life to come. Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, give and it shall be given unto you. A command, an imperative, give and it shall be given unto you. Now, pray tell me, friend, if we are not to expect a return, why did Jesus keep mentioning it? If he didn't say, I'm going to return to you, then why does he repeatedly over and over in the scriptures tell us to give and we will be able to receive? Here's the thing. I think we we get to thinking, you know, we're just kind of playing the spiritual slot machine. And we put a quarter in and we're going to hit the big one and get 50 cents back. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. First of all, he doesn't define how the blessing will come. And the blessing can come in 10,000 different forms. You know, I give into the Lord and I walk these hospital corridors. And you know what? I thank God every day for my health because that's a gift from him. 
Maybe that's part of the return. I don't even know in all the ways that God can and will bless me or that he's blessing you. In America, we always take the word blessing and we sort of define it by dollars. Well, there's some things in life far more important to us than dollars, aren't there? The health of your children, your own health, your family, a good job, living in America, (laughs) some pretty basic things, and we just forget about those things. I say it again, God's commands are accompanied by a promise to receive that God will never be a debtor to any man. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6, he that soweth bountifully, command, promise, shall reap bountifully. Over and over and over. Now, you need to get those. Write those references down. Take those to God's bank and live off of those throughout all the rest of your life. Those are wonderful promises. So, one, today, God commands us to give. Number two, his commands are accompanied by a promise to receive. So somebody's sitting there saying, you're you're pretty close to prosperity theology in your teaching here, just give to get. Well, if you stop there, you would be right. But now, listen to me. Look up here. I want you to get this. Here's the Bible's teaching. Give to get so you can give to get so you can give to get so you can give to get. Do you have it or... For the slow learners, so you can give to get. And if you ever break the cycle, then you're just in it for yourself. But hey, if the rest of your life you're working God's plan, I give so I can get, so I can give, so I can get, so I can give, so I can get, and I just do that. And and, and as long as I live, that's God's plan. I'm going to give to you, you give back, and I will bless you. Uh, but I bless you so you can continue to give. So how much am I to give? Well, it's interesting to trace giving through the Bible. The first mention of a tither in the Bible, you'll find it in the book of Genesis chapter 14. This is about almost 2000 BC before Jesus Christ. So it's 4,000 years ago or so from where we are right now. Abraham was the first tither. You know, any time a topic is mentioned in the Bible, it's called the law of first mention. Anytime something is mentioned for the first time, it's an important mention. There's an important teaching surrounding that. Now, I don't have time to go back to Mark or to Genesis chapter 14. I wish I could, but I, I don't have time in the message for that. But you have Abraham who goes out and fights a battle, and he defeats some other kings at that time, regional kings. He, of course, captures a lot of their goods, and when he comes back to where he began his base there, he meets a man named Melchizedek. And Melchizedek is a biblical type of Jesus Christ. In fact, many believe it was a an appearance of Jesus Christ for a very special occasion, a pre-incarnate, before he was born, appearance of Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says simply, Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. And it's the first time the word tithe is used anywhere in the scripture. So Abraham commenced this thing of giving to God. Secondly, Jacob continued it, the man who became the founder of the Jewish nation. And in Genesis 28, he promised to give God a tithe. Everything that you bless me with, Lord, the remainder of my life, I will give back to you a tithe of that. Then Moses commanded the tithe. He put it into the law, and we read the verse, the tithe is the Lord's. The tithe is holy unto the Lord. And then Jesus commended it. Matthew 23 and 23, the only time Jesus ever commended the Pharisees, he says, this, referring to tithing, ought you to have done, but not to leave some other things undone that you don't do. So he commended them for their diligence in tithing. So Abraham commenced it. Jacob continued it. Moses commanded it. Jesus commended it. Who am I to cancel it? Who then am I to cancel it? Because the tithe has always been God's standard from 2,000 years before Christ. Look at the word tithe. I heard about the country boy. He didn't even know how to pronounce it. He came to it and called it the tithe. Well, whatever you call it, let me tell you what the tithe is. The tithe is a tenth. The tithe is 10%. Penny out of a dime, dime out of a dollar, dollar out of a 10, 10 out of a 100, 100 out of a 1,000. You got it? It's not anything more. It's not anything less. If you give more, that's an offering above the tithe. If you give less, you're not tithing. You're just, you're giving a portion of the tithe. I read a publication from a major denomination in the country, a mainline denomination. And this is a quote from that publication. We suggest that our members give 5% of their income as a tithe. What's wrong with that statement? It's not a tithe, that's a 20th. A tithe is a dime out of a dollar. It's not 5%, that's a 20th. A tithe is a 10th. Christ, you know what people say to me today, things like this. Well, you know, the New Testament doesn't say for us to tithe. It doesn't say it directly, but it certainly infers it. And it was such a custom, so deeply rooted in the culture of that time. I don't know that it was necessary to say it. Here's what I do know. Now listen to me carefully. Jesus raised the Old Testament standards. Never once did Jesus lower standards in the New Testament beneath what they were in the Old Testament. Let me say that again. I may have not said that well. As you look at the Lord Jesus, he raised the Old Testament standards. Not, not in one case did he ever lower a standard in the New Testament below what it was in the Old Testament. Let me give you an example. The Old Testament says, thou shalt not kill. 
Did Jesus lower that standard in the New Testament? He raised that standard. He said, I'm not talking about the act of murder. If you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder, the equivalent of it. The Old Testament said, don't commit adultery. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. The Old Testament said, if you're compelled to go a mile, go a mile. Jesus said, if you're compelled to go a mile, go a second mile. Raise the standard. In the Old Testament, it said, if somebody smites you on the cheek, then you can hit them back an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. What did Jesus say? Turn the other cheek. In every case, the Lord Jesus raised the standard. Never once did he lower the standard. People today have heard this stuff till they, they don't study the Bible. They listen to what some preacher, they listen to what some other Christian says, what they read in some book somewhere. And they'll say, well, tithing is legalistic because it's in the Old Testament. That doesn't make it legalistic. The fact that God never gave another standard other than to give purposefully and to give proportionately to what you have, but he never abrogated the tithe. He never lowered the standard. People say, well, I'm not under law, but I'm not under grace. We don't give as Christians because we're under the law. We don't give because we have to. We give because we want to. We have been the recipients of God's grace at Calvary. The Old Testament people didn't have that. Adrian Rogers always comes through with the best quotes of anybody on the planet. Here's what he said, and I love it. To give less under grace than under law is a disgrace to grace. Don't you like that? That is so good. To give less under grace than under law is a disgrace to grace. Now, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. And in verse number 2, I want you to notice one thing. It tells us when we are to give. When do we give? On the first day of the week. You can underline that in chapter 16 and verse 2. When do you give? You give on the first day. What did Christians do on the first day? After the resurrection... Every example of Christians gathering together to worship is a first day thing. People say, why don't we worship on the uh, Sabbath day, the seventh day? Now, now, get this, Christian, because somebody will ask you this. In the Old Testament, they worshiped on the Sabbath day, the seventh day, to honor the creative work of God, the seven days of creation. In the New Testament, the resurrection of Jesus Christ so absolutely turned upside down the old order that men began to worship on the first day of the week. And once the resurrection occurs, you don't see a single mention of seventh-day worship. You see first-day worship from there on through to the end of your Bible. Even John met the Lord on the first day of the week in the book of Revelation. And always it's first day worship. And 1 Corinthians says, wherever you go on the first day of the week, that's where you take your tithe. You don't mail it. You don't send it. 
you bring it to wherever people go, Christians go on the first day of the week. Well, they worship, don't they? And you always see the tithe connected to the place of worship. So when do we give? We give on the first day, today. And where do we give? Where Christians go on the first day of the week. We go, or we, we worship the Lord on the first day. And as you go through the Bible, you see this progression of places where Christians worship. First of all, for the first couple of thousand years, well, not that long, maybe, well, I don't know how long, but for a period of time, men worshiped at altars, Cain and Abel, right from the beginning, all the way up to Abraham. They didn't have churches. They went to an altar, and they gathered their family and friends. And then God established the nation of Israel. I guess it was a couple of thousand years. And then they began to worship at a tent, a tabernacle. And they did that for about five or six hundred years. And then they built a temple. And they worshiped there for about 1,500 or 2,000 years. And then the church was formed. And where do people bring their money when the church formed? The church is a gathering of people. And they didn't even have buildings as we do at first, but you know where they brought their offering? They laid it at the apostles' feet. So where the people gathered and the pastors ministered, that's where the offering was brought. So I've tried to go through here and deal with all the questions I think people might have in their mind. Where? When? How much, why we give. It's not our privilege to scatter God's tithe all over the community. There are many good causes in the world, but always in the Bible, giving is attached to the house of God, the house of worship, if you will. That's God's plan. God's God has a plan for everything. God doesn't run a slipshod operation. There's no randomness in what God plans. God has a plan. And secondly, that plan for financing his work, with all my heart, I believe, is the one I've laid out for you today. But there's one more factor. The other factor is this. That if you just sit and look at this as a cold, calculating, logical, secular person would look at it, then you may argue in your mind with me. But if you'll go with me back about 2,000 years and stand under a cross and look at the Son of God hanging there and the blood running down his body, suffering as few have ever suffered, and he died for my sins. And I've come to him in faith, and I believe, and I've trusted him. And then I say, Lord, now what about your plan for me handling my money? And he said, I've laid it out all through the Bible. You bring a tithe. You bring it to the place where you worship. And there, that provides ministers to minister the Word. It provides ministries, programs, where we can reach out to the world. It provides missions whereby we can 
give to the poor and help the needy, but also that we can take the gospel to the whole world. Stand to your feet with me if you will, please. Every day.